Lord, I pray for your help this morning. Actually, for all of us, God. I joke in saying losing an hour of sleep, but, it, you know, God, you energize us to do what we need to do in, in light of your kingdom. So I pray right now that for every person listening, that they would be attentive, awake, alert, able to hear what your spirit is saying. I pray for myself that there'd be clarity in, in what I communicate as we talk about the, the spirit and the word this morning and how those things weave together and, and touch our lives. So, God, I pray that you would bless our time in the word. Pray that you'd prepare our hearts to hear what your spirit is saying. And God, that you'd continue to help us to grow. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and open up to John chapter 6. We're going to be walking through a little of the passage in John chapter 6. So, so far in this series, we've kind of looked at several different topics. We're, we're talking about being established in the Word of God. And, and I've shared with you guys several times throughout this series that as a whole, as a culture, we're pretty biblically illiterate today. Like most of us don't read our Bibles, we don't pay attention to our Bibles. And I shared with you some information last week that like the difference between somebody who reads their Bible one time a week, two times a week is nothing. Like it doesn't have any impact on your life. If you had three times, there's a little teeny blip on the radar. But once you read it four times a week, in other words, you, you spend time with God relationally four times a week, it just goes through the roof, your growth. Your, your, the, it lowers your anxiety, your depression, helps you battle against sin like alcoholism, pornography. It, it eliminates the feelings of loneliness. It increase, increases your willingness to, to share the gospel with other people. It gives you confidence in your walk with God. So all through this series, I've been trying to encourage you all, read your what? Read your Bibles. Man, we've been given this treasure in the Word of God that helps us to discover who God is, helps us to learn about Him, helps us to grow our own hearts and reduce the pressure of this world because there's pressure, there's a lot of pressure in this world, isn't there? A lot of stress, a lot of crazy stuff. So this morning, I want to talk to you some about the connection between spirit and word. And I'm going to again do it from a couple of things that were meaningful to me in my own life that hopefully will be encouraging to you as well. Just as I was growing as a Christian, different passages that were meaningful to me, different ways that I started to discover who, who Jesus was, his love for me, the value of the Word of God and how powerful it can be in changing my own life. So I'm hoping that that is doing the same for you all because I want you guys to grow. Now, Jesus himself was a master communicator. Like sometimes we read the Gospels and you kind of get this, huh, moment? Like I don't totally understand because a lot of times that has to do with like context and what Jesus was addressing and what the people were facing you got to think as we start to look at this passage in John chapter 6, Jesus is writing to a Jew, Jewish community, but, or pardon me, speaking to, we write about it, speaking to a Jewish community that was predominantly Greek influenced. They were Hellenistic. How many of you guys have ever heard the word Hellenistic? All that means is that it was under Greek influence. That means that their, their primary approach to anything in life had to do with philosophy. The, the thinking of, like the thought of thought, that's how much they were in love with. I mean, philosophy literally means philosophia. It's the love of knowledge. That's literally what philosophy means. Well, they are steeped in this, and Jesus is ministering to them, and he's trying to explain to them faith. Now, you got to understand this, that we're not very different than them in American culture today. Like, we want to think about Jesus, but we often don't relate to him very well. And today, and I mean this like nothing against the community who doesn't know him or hasn't known him for a long time, today there's not a common ground. Like when I got saved 30 plus years ago, there was a common ground. Like we understood right and wrong, good and bad. And, and today we've moved away from some of that. So sometimes when you're explaining faith, you're actually explaining it to somebody that doesn't have any context for it. Doesn't make them good or evil, right or wrong or bad. It just means you have to start in a different place than you did 30 years ago. Like when I walked up to somebody 30 years ago, I remember this actually happened. I went into AMPM because I liked hot dogs. Yeah, they did, I had two for 99 cents. I went into AMPM with a buddy of mine and we walked in as we were coming out, this, this dude asked like, he just like, hey, what's going on? Got any change or that kind of thing. And, and for me, that was like a magnet. I immediately turned to the guy, started like, what do you need? What do you want? You want food? Sure. And I just started talking about Jesus. Guy got saved. He accepted Christ at the double front doors with other people watching at AMPM. Just because we were willing to stop. But there was context for it. If you did that today, people would think that's a little odd. They wouldn't think so. So we have to rethink how we bring faith to people. We have to rethink, how, well, that's Jesus. 
Jesus was the master communicator. He's talking to people who are Hellenized. Like, we kind of have this idea, like, at least in my mind I do. When I think of Jerusalem, I think, well, everybody's Jew and they're all God worshipers. No, they're not. It's funny because this week on Facebook has been popping up from when I went to Israel a few years ago and all of the videos that, I've been, that I showed when I was there. And it's remarkable to me that as I look at it, I go, wow, this is really actually a very secular culture, even though they're God's people. Not different for us today. So when Jesus is communicating, he's communicating to a crowd, and the crowd is seeing everything with, with natural eyes, but Jesus is bringing a spiritual message. It's important for you to understand that because a lot of times we're looking with what? Natural eyes, but Jesus is bringing a spiritual message. Not any different today than it was then. So context, Jewish people, Hellenized, so they're under Greek influence, Greek thought. So let's go ahead and jump in. I'm, I'm going to walk through the majority of this chapter, but I'm going to do it kind of fast. And then I'm going to point out some things at the very end that I want to really emphasize to you. So verse 1 this is Jesus. He's going to feed the 5,000. It says, after these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing to those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing the large crowd that was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread? so that these may eat. Okay, I don't know about you, but if you were just kind of strolling, people were following, would you feel like you got to feed them? Like, does that make sense? And by the way, it's going to go on to tell us how large this crowd was. It's going to go on to say there's 5,000 people. So think like this. If you went to a Quakes game and the stadium was totally full, every seat packed, there would be more people than that that's following Jesus. I think the Quakes stadium seats like 3,500 people. It'd be more people than that. 5,000 people. Now, mind you, in this context, it's 5,000 men. There were likely a lot of women there as well, and likely a lot of children. So the estimate's not 5,000 people. It's probably closer to 10 or 12. We don't know the actual number, but it does say there was approximately 5,000 men. So it's a, it's a big crowd. It's a large crowd. And Jesus says, where are we going to get bread? And in verse 6, he says, this he was saying to test them, because he already knew what he was intending to do. And Philip answered him, and he said, 200 denarii, translation, a year's wages. That's a lot of money, right? Worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone just to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here that has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was, such, there was much grass in this place, so the men sat down in numbers and the number was about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed those to those seated, likewise also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the leftovers so that nothing will be lost. Okay, so two fish, five loaves, 5,000 people, and there's leftovers. Okay, you gotta, you like, you gotta wrap your brain around this. Jesus is feeding a natural need. We can all see that, right? People are hungry. But is that actually what he's trying to do? No. He's working on growing faith right now. He's working on allowing them to see people's needs. Because you gotta think like this. Jesus knows not long from now he's gonna be crucified. And these guys that are following him, they're the ones who are gonna pick it up and carry it forward. Now, 2,000 years later, we sit in a church as a result of them carrying it forward. And, and the, same, the message is the same today, isn't it? Now it's your job to do what? Carry it forward, i.e. evangelism, being kind to people, thoughtful, otherly, outward. He says, make sure that none of it is lost. Verse 13, so they gathered them up. They filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left to those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign, which, they, which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. So I think Jesus has a sense of humor. This is not my insight, but I still think it's funny. How many disciples were there? Twelve. How many leftover baskets were there? Gave each one of them a doggy bag. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Like, in other words, hey, if you think that I'm limited in resource, I'm not. 
That is the message. I'm going to take natural need. I'm going to touch spiritual need by meeting natural need. That is what Jesus is doing. So the people, of course, they're watching. They're thinking, this is pretty cool. Like, listen, if you showed up at church right now and I said, hey, Joe, you got something to share with everybody? You handed me one thing and we passed around fed everybody. People would be like, well, I don't even have to go to work. I just go to church and eat every single Sunday. They just keep expanding food. That's the same way the people were thinking. It'll just keep growing. So watch, let's, let's actually walk through and look at what they said. I mean, I'm not actually going to point at anything specific until we hit the end of this chapter, but I just think the chapter's so rich with insights. I wanted you to walk through it with me. So in verse 15, it says, Jesus perceiving that they were intending to come to him and take him by force and make him the king. Remember, they're looking for a king. They think any king who can feed 5,000 people with so little bit, that's our man. So he withdrew again from them to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. And after getting in a boat, they started to cross over to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. And the sea began to be stirred because of the strong wind that was blowing. Then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. Would you guys be a scared? A scared? Because that's what little kids say, right? I was so scared. Would you guys be afraid? If you were, like, like, I've been to the Sea of Galilee. I've actually been on, we actually went on a boat, and we did a worship service on the boat. It was really cool. But you look across, and like, it's not gigantic, but it's not small. And if you think, man, rowing four miles, anybody ever rowed a boat? I have. Kayak? Been on a sailboard, a stand-up surfboard? Four miles. Four miles is a long what? Long way. They're rowing against the wind. So it's long and hard. And now you're out there, it's dark. Like, we kind of get this picture like there's lights on like this. There's no lights. Even today, you'll see the lights speckled around the shore, but there's not lighting. It's dark. And now there's somebody kind of strolling on water coming towards you. I, I mean, come on. Is this a little freaky? Is this like ghost-like? Like, oh, like my wife likes the, the dead people TV shows. I'm like, not like that. it's like dead people chasing me. That'd be terrible. It would be. And they're afraid. Watch, just like you and I would be. And watch what Jesus does. Because it, it gets very specific and very supernatural. Oh, my page flipped while I was talking to you guys. That's not good. What verse was I in? 20? You're so awesome. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was on the land to which they were going. Okay, so think like this. You've been rowing all night, four miles. It's windy. Jesus walks on water like a ghost comes up, gets in the boat, and boom, you're where you want to go. Is that pretty cool? That's actually what, see, you, you got to get context. Spiritual conversation with natural means. He's showing them that he's got power over sea and wind, everything. He's demonstrating that he's God right now. Then it says, the next day, the crowd came and stood on the other side of the sea, and they saw that there was no other small boats there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his, his disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias near the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into small boats and they came over to Capernaum seeking Jesus. In other words, let me give you a translation. Like, we want to go find the guy who just gave us free in and out. That's what's happening. Don't miss that. He met our natural need. Let's go find him again. It's going to show in the passage. Watch. I think this is really fun because Jesus is slick. So when they found him on the other side, verse 25 of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly. Anytime Jesus says truly, truly, think like this. Pay attention. He's emphasizing. I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and you were filled. Jesus straight calls him out. The only reason you want to find me is because you're hungry. You want breakfast. That's what's going on. And Jesus is kind of, he's drawing them in, though. Don't miss that. He's drawing, that's the whole point of all of what I'm reading to you. I'm trying to show you how Jesus interacts with people just like you and I to draw us in so that we understand what he's trying to do in our lives. Because I don't know about you, but one of the most difficult things for me personally 
is to understand what God is doing when it's not easy to understand. Am I talking to anyone right now? The circumstances are confusing. It doesn't make sense. Is God in this somewhere? I want to believe that God is in this. I mean, the preacher tells me God is always with me and never leave, but it kind of feels like I'm alone right now. That's the feeling we all have. And Jesus is engaging. He's leading. He's representing the heart of the Father. He's showing them what God is like. And they don't understand it quite yet. They're seeking a meal. He's seeking to touch their hearts. That's really important because he's doing the same with all of us. Amen? Doing the exact same thing. Trying to help us see who he is and his goodness toward us. So he says, you are only following me because you, were, you ate and you were filled. Verse 27, he said, do not do the work for the, do not work for the food which perishes, but, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. In other words, now he's talking to Jewish people who know to be looking for a Messiah, and he's starting to say to them, by the way, I'm that Messiah. That's what he's doing. Like, you got to get, this is like a lot of play. There's Pharisees there. There's Jews there. There's people that want to accuse him. And he's just being slick. He's being really, really smart. Verse 28, he said, therefore, he said to them, what, or they said to him, what shall we do so that we may, may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. He's re referencing himself. Like, don't miss this. He, like, people say Jesus never said he was God. By the time we're done with this passage, you're going to understand he clearly said it. There was no mistake about him saying that he was God. So they said to him, what then should we do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What works are you going to perform? <laughs> well, well, watch. Hey, how about another breakfast and then we'll agree. <laughs> Could you bring the in and out truck a second time? I'm a little hungry. How about the habit truck this time? That's what's going on. They're just looking at the natural stuff. Like, listen, sometimes I see churches do stuff like this. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. We do our summer kickoff stuff. We go outside. We bring taco guys. We bring tri-tip guys. And people come and they eat, and they go, whoo, that was pretty good. And I think, yes, it was, because I got you to come to church because I fed you. Pretty smart, isn't it? That's what Jesus is doing. I'm getting you to listen to me because I'm feeding you, feeding you naturally so that I can talk to you what? Spiritually, That's exactly what's going on. And so he, he continues on. They, they ask, what sort of works are you going to do? And then they say this, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Now, some of you might know your Bible. Some of you might be a little new to this. But the manna was when they were traveling in the wilderness. And they were like, how are we going to eat? You took us out of Egypt. We crossed the Red Sea. Now we're out here and we're in the middle of the desert. And there's no food. So God starts to drop manna from heaven. It was a bread-like substance. Nobody knows for sure exactly what it was, but it sustained them. So they're saying, listen, listen, if you're saying that you're from God and God is the one who provided manna for them when they were in the desert, well, you should provide us an in-and-out truck again. That's what they're saying right now. You should feed us again because that's what proved that Moses was from God. We think that you should do something to prove that you're from God. And Jesus says to them, verse 32, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Now, wait a minute. Did the whole world eat manna? The answer is no. He's changing the discussion right now. You've got to understand that. He's opening up. He's broadening the way they think. And then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. We don't ever want to go to work again. Just feed us. That's what's going on. Listen, if I told any one of you in the room, you could have groceries for the rest of your life. All you got to do is trust Jesus. And you don't even have to eat cheap. Like, he'll hook you up. You'd all be like, sign me up right now. Jesus, I love you. Never have to go to Stater Brothers again. We'd all think that. That's what's happening right now. And Jesus is just drawing them in. If you really understood what, what God was doing with the people in the desert, you would understand he wasn't just giving them sustenance. He was giving them himself. That's what he's teaching them. Watch, let's keep going. I love this passage. I think it's really, really cool. He says, for the bread that, uh, verse 33, for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven, gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am 
the bread of life. Don't miss this. He just said, I'm God. And every Jewish person understood. He just said, I'm God. Like he just, listen, for the Pharisees, for the law seekers, he just picked a fight. That's what he just did. He just made a very direct statement. And it says, he who comes to me will not hunger, and he who, who believes in me will never thirst. And this is great. Sign me up now, Jesus. Give me the endless soda at In-N-Out. That's what he's saying. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you don't believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. In other words, don't come because I feed you. Come because I represent the Father is what he's saying. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have what? Eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. Listen, he's saying something. I'm God. Only God raises life. Only God takes people from death into life. Like he's making a huge statement right now about who he is, the purpose he came, and the reason that the Father sent him. He's changing the discussion from a natural one to a spiritual one. Now listen, can I teach you all a little bit of something about ministering to people? Meet their natural need. And then talk to him about Jesus. Like sometimes I think we get it in reverse. You guys ever get it in reverse? Cram Jesus down someone's throat. And then they look at you and go, I, I don't like you. You're kind of mean. They do. I've done it. You've done it. You know, we, if we've ever been bold enough with sharing our faith, like I, I'm, I'm looking at John, John Smirkin, and, and John and I have gone back. John does a lot of homeless ministry. A lot of homeless. He's been doing it. How many years, John? John and Marcy, both of you. 22 years been serving the homeless. I go out, I do feedings with them, I do all kinds of stuff with them when my schedule permits. They go out every single Wednesday, they do a sandwich club, they bring sandwiches to the homeless down in the ghetto in, in San Bernardino. They go and they serve them. And I said, John, are you preaching the gospel to him? He goes, no, I'm feeding them, Pastor. I go, you gotta preach the gospel. Because I gotta feed them, Pastor. Gotta preach the gospel. He said, I gotta earn their trust first, Pastor. I'm like, they might, you might not see him again. He's like, trust me, I've been doing this a long time. We go back and forth. I'm like, just, you may never see the guy again. Tell him about Jesus. He said, I am, by putting a sandwich in his hand and being kind. I said, okay, you can do it your way. But if I was there, because <laughs> that's how I, I just roll that way. Like, I got to tell him. But, but I said, no, this is great, because he's building trust. Watch, the same way Jesus did. Jesus fed him and left, and they went, we still want to follow him, because he's got something. Right now, we just think he's got, like, food, but he's starting to show them, I got more than food for you. I've got something that will change your entire life, your entire destiny. Oh, I got, I got a hand raised from the audience. Go, John, quick. Ah, there you go. So now they're, they're doing the soft mode. They're putting scriptures in the sandwiches. So the people don't walk away just fed. They walk away with the scripture to encourage them. See, but that's how you do it. You sometimes just got to go slow and build people's trust. You know, next time you see a neighbor that needs help with something, go help them. Spend a few minutes with them. You might be surprised they find out you're nice and you're kind and that you're, you're godly or that you're a God-fearer and, and, and they'll listen to you when you talk. And this is what Jesus is doing. They're saying, give me the bread. And he's saying, listen, I am the bread. That's why I came. I want to bring eternal life to people. Now watch, of course, Jesus does that in verse 41. Watch what starts happening. Therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Translation, you're not God. How dare you say that you're God? That's what Jesus is doing with them. He's, he's like, no, 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 I'm going to prove it to you. Let me just walk this through with you. So they were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary? We know him. How does he say now, I've come down from heaven? In other words, we watched this kid grow up. He played with our kids, and now he's calling himself God. And Jesus answered them, and he said, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now, I want you to notice something, because this is important. The very first phrase there says this in verse 45, it is what? Written. Jesus knew the scriptures. They're like, well, he was Jesus. He kind of wrote the scriptures, pastor. 
No, in his humanness, Jesus knew the what? He knew the scriptures. The same way I'm trying to teach you all, you should know the what? By the way, this verse that he's citing is a verse that's cited out of Isaiah 54 and out of Jeremiah 31. And it's talking about when the Messiah comes in both of those places. So Jesus wasn't accidental with the verse he used. He knew he was talking to Jewish people like, who are you to say you came from heaven? Oh, I'm the guy who's coming that Jeremiah prophesied about. Oh, you know, like 12, 1400 years ago. I'm that guy. And I'm going to show up and I'm the one who's going to bring restoration and healing. and possible. I'm, going to, I'm going to forgive their iniquities and transgressions. That's what it says in Jeremiah. See, sometimes we miss the nuances. Like Jesus was not accidental at all with what he was doing. That he was coming into the midst of people who were bound up and locked up in religion. And he was bringing the heart of the Father to them. And he's just doing it directly. He's not mean, but he's also not nice right now. Pretty direct. And he's saying, I am God. I'm the one who the Father sent down from heaven. In verse 46, he says, not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. In other words, I came from God. So I've actually seen him. That one has seen the Father. Truly, truly, again, listen up. Anytime you see two trulies, he's saying, pay attention. I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. In other words, I am God. This is the first of the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John that Jesus is referencing to the I am that, that God said in Exodus 3. So there's a connection between the name of God and the name of Jesus being the I am. Very significant. Jesus is saying, I am God. He says, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness. They died. <laughs> I'm like, I love it. He's just so direct. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that, they, so that you may eat and not die. I'm the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. Ever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Okay, what just happened? Let me help you. It just got weird. It did. Like, we don't understand that because we're like, oh, we're so familiar with it. I've heard this preached before. I read my Bible now and again, Pastor. He just said flesh, his flesh. They understood this whole idea of like sacrificial lambs. Instead, Jesus isn't going to stop there, though. He's going to go further. Like, you got to think like this. There's 10,000, 12,000 people following him. He's preaching up a storm. He's healing people. He's feeding thousands. People love it. He's just like, he's the man. He's on fire. And then he starts talking about flesh and blood. Watch. Watch what happens. I think this is crazy. Like, I think if I was one of the disciples, I'd be like, oh, no, no, not Jesus. Come on. Let's not go here right now. Look at all the people. Verse 52, the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? I mean, like, you know, is he going to chop off an arm, barbecue it, and feed it to us? That's weird. That's what they're saying. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, pay attention. Remember, pay attention. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. Okay, cannibalism, really? Is that what he's saying? Now, we know that because we're Bible students, but they're mad right now. You got to get this. They are not okay with what he's teaching. They're freaking out. They're thinking it's a little gross. How dare he? He goes on, he says, he who eats my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. Remember, they're having a natural conversation. He's having a spiritual one right now. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died, and he who eats this bread will live forever. Okay, man, I'm sorry, this is confusing. Because I know the Old Testament condemns cannibalism, it's specifically said. And Jesus is, sounds like he's saying, eat people. Doesn't, he say, doesn't it sound like that? Sounds like he's saying, night of the living dead or whatever. It's weird. It's weird. And you got to get that. But he's having a spiritual conversation, watch, with naturally-minded people. Listen, church, you all should be thinking that all the time. When you're talking about God, you're having a spiritually-oriented conversation with people who are not likely spiritual. 
Now, if it's brother to brother, sister to sister in Christ, the playing field changes. But when you're talking to people who don't know Jesus, you're having a spiritual conversation with somebody who's thinking naturally. I can assure you, if you said to one of your friends who don't know Jesus, you got to eat his flesh and drink his blood, they would think you are a weirdo. Now watch, in church, this is what we do. Oh, he's talking about communion. No, he's actually not talking about communion here. Communion's not been instituted. Doesn't happen for a long time afterwards. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the possibility of God. He's talking about a spiritual conversation compared to a natural one. So watch, let's see how this unfolds, and then I'll, I'll take you where I want to go today. He says, these things I, he said to them in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So he wasn't just like off on the side. He was actually teaching in one of their halls. He says, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? <laughs> the same way all of us would do. But Jesus, conscious of, their, of the thoughts of his disciples at this, he said to them, does this cause you to stumble? Okay, so watch. Let me talk to you for just a second. So I, I want to encourage you all in your faith. All of us are in different spots of faith. Some of us are, are very schooled. Some of us are very old in the Lord. Some of us are young. Some of us have been a Christian a long time. We don't read our Bibles very much. So we don't know a ton. Some of us know a ton in a year or two. Like some people devour it. They just get it. They read it. They discover. They go to all the meetings. We're all at different places. This is not a discussion of time. Say, Pastor, it's not a discussion of time. Not a discussion of time. Because I've met people who are one-year-old in the Lord more mature than people who are 40 years old in the Lord. You know why? Because they go after God. So this is, but, but listen, everywhere you go, you have an opportunity to represent Jesus. Do you guys agree with that? In your workplace, sometimes it's really silent. Like go to work and do a good job. You know, I used to have people say that to me all the time when I was in the, the secular world working. They would say, man, I knew there was something different because you just have really good worth ethic. You ever had somebody brag on the way you work at work? Like when other people are freaking out and getting mad, you're kind of like, I'm okay. If not, you should be praying for this in you. But there's something about the way that you're living that is preaching the gospel all the time. If you're a believer, that's actually what the Bible teaches. That the whole time, your life is on display in front of people. Now, I'm not saying do it perfect. Not even, I'm not even looking for that. Jesus doesn't look for that. He wants us to keep growing. But all of you, just like Jesus, have the opportunity to present truth in a way that is understandable. Sometimes that truth will be so radically rejected because it's so contrary to the culture. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes the truth of God that lives in you, the spirit of God that lives in you, will be so radically rejected, so radically rejected because the culture has so radically rejected God. How many of you guys have been rejected because somebody finds out you're a Christian? Oh, man, so, so many times. Even today, like when I tell people I'm a pastor, I get all kinds of responses today. All kinds of responses. And, and I mean, it covers everything from political stuff to natural stuff to, oh, yeah, all those pastors, they, they rip people off. No, we don't. We, you know how many times I've suffered loss in the name of ministry, of just keeping my integrity all the time. I will always defer to letting God win instead of bringing shame to his name over money. Listen, people have opinions is the point I'm making. So when you bring the life of God, you've got to do it thoughtfully. Like, let me say it differently. Don't bring a eat my flesh, drink my blood message. You're not Jesus. Hello? Don't bring a you're going to hell right now. Bring a message that is one of kindness. Now, I want to be careful when I say that. Because some of you are discerning enough to know how God is ministering to somebody in the moment. And I say, follow the Holy Spirit as he's leading you. I've had people tell me, I mean, I've had God tell me when I'm talking to people, you need to bring hell in front of them right now. You need to show them the reality that if they don't bow their heart to me, this is their end. But I, more often, that's happened a few times in all of the 30 years I've been a Christian, only a few times. Majority of the time it's this, man, God is crazy about you. He's so crazy about you. Man, he loves you. And it doesn't matter what you've done, how stupid you've been. You can have 10 wives, 10 husbands, 70 million kids. It doesn't matter. You can do, be doing everything dumb under the sun. And this is what God says, come to me, I'll forgive you. And this is what I know about people who have done really stupid things. How many of you have done stupid things? Come on, your pastor's hands up. How many of you have done stupid things? And the Bible says this, those who have been forgiven much, they also 
love much. See, one of the reasons I love Jesus a lot is, man, he did a lot of stuff for me. He changed a really wicked dude. You know, we were in a staff meeting over at uh, East Avenue. I go to a, a leadership meeting with the other pastors there. And I, I don't know what's on the agenda. Like you walk in the room and you just kind of flow with whatever they're doing. It's actually their meeting. I just attend like kind of a fly on the wall sort of thing. It's just part of connection with other pastors. And, and so we're, we're sitting talking and they say, hey, we're going to do testimonies this morning. Let's talk about our testimony. Man, that's like setting me up. I can never tell my testimony without crying. I can't do it. You know why? Because God loved me so much. He loved me so much. I can't tell it without getting emotional. I mean, man, it, it, sitting in my room, smoking weed all the time, acting the fool, selling drugs to people, just, just doing whatever. And then in one prayer, I get set free from that. And, and I know I tell my testimony all the time. You guys have heard my story. I don't mean to tell it like that. But then I remember the growth in the seasons and the times where life was difficult and God would come and, and give direction. And I told them that stuff. And as soon as I said it, I went, and my voice went, ah, ah. You guys ever have that happen? Ah. You're like, darn it, I'm going to look like a big sissy. <laughs> I hate that. And I took a deep breath, and I just said, you know, I can't tell this story without being emotional because it so represents how much God loves me. That is the best message you can give anybody. Listen, some people need a, a two-by-four in the head to come to Jesus. Most people, most people need a hug. That's the truth. Most people need to be loved in their rebellion. Like, man, sinners are hard to put up with sometimes. Y'all agree? They can be. They're difficult. Their language is difficult. Their attitude is difficult. Sometimes their behavior is difficult. But you know how you get them into heaven? By putting up with them. By loving them when they're not so lovely. By the way, you know that's a scripture. The Bible says to love the unlovely. So when you do that, it actually brings people face to face with God's love because you're not rejecting them makes them understand neither does God. That, is that powerful or what? Like sometimes you think, man, I gotta know the theology, I gotta know how to say it. No, you don't, you just have to be willing to love someone. That's it. Go give somebody a sandwich. You'd be shocked at how kind that is. Sit with somebody who's hurting. I got a phone call, a friend of mine took his life recently, it was terrible. And I got a phone call and I was like, oh, and, and I just sat with several different family members of his on the phone just hearing their heart and grieving with them, crying myself, them crying, and just saying, man, I just, I wish there was, just, but there was this sense of, we're going to journey this difficult pain together. We're going to do this together. And there was, and I know that even though the connection is not close because of the distance between us, where they live, that there was an expression of love because you listen and you cry and you, and you help somebody process the loss. Does this make sense, church? That is being Christ-like. That is what Jesus would do. He would come front and center with people hurting, and he would love them. That's what Jesus is doing in this story. Look, I'm the bread from heaven. You've got to get this. Like, there's not lots of ways to get to God. I am the way. You're wondering how you can be fed spiritually, emotionally, physically? I'm that God. That, that's what's happening right now. And Jesus is going to continue. And he's going to help them see even a clear, clearer picture of the Father. So watch, he goes on. The Jews are grumbling, remember? And, they're, they're, and Jesus is telling them, no one can do all the stuff that I'm doing unless God was with them. And the disciples, they're, well, they're a little confused as well. He spoke in the synagogue. Let's pick it up in verse 60, and I'll, I'll walk through these last few verses and show you a couple things. He says, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious of that, his disciples grumbled, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, he said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then, if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was from? In other words, he's starting to talk about what's going to happen to him. I'm going to die, but you're going to watch me ascend. It is the Spirit who gives life. Now he's drawn the line. You guys are looking at this fleshly, and your natural eyes want you to look at it spiritual eyes. That it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Come on, say that with me. The flesh profits nothing. One more time. The flesh profits nothing. I love you all. You can be really, really smart. You can be really, really successful. And you can really, really be dead. 
Is that crazy? Like you can have all of the world's wealth, all of everything in this world, not have God and be dead inside. Listen, some of you came to Christ very successful and dead. You know what I'm talking about. You think, man, I've had promotions, I've made money, I've done this, but there is no peace in this life that comes outside of knowing that God is crazy about you. Doesn't matter how successful, I don't care what your retirement is, you know, it's the rich ruler guy, like, and God goes, man, don't you get it? Your life's gonna be required of you today. You have wealth set up for 10 lifetimes, but you're not gonna get to spend it. Simply saying, live for God. Don't think about things naturally. Think about them spiritually. He said, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and their life. That's important. The words that I have spoken to you, they're spirit and their life. The words that I've spoken are active, is literally what Jesus is saying. It's not just a word on a page. It's a word with, with emphasis, with, with energy, with umph in it. Saying the words I've spoken to you, they're actually alive. Now we've studied this a whole bunch over this series, that the word of God is living and active. Jesus said that way before the writer of Hebrews said it. He said it's alive. What I say is alive. It'll change you if you'll allow it to change you. The words that I've spoken to you are what? Spirit. Spirit. They're what? In other words, they're not natural. They're not good advice, they're spirit. And then he goes on and he says, and their life. And that's the word for vibrancy of life, not just breathing. All of us in the room right now, take a deep breath. <gasps> that's called bios. You're biologically alive. This word is vibrant. God is alive in you. You're alive because of who God is in you. That's what Jesus is talking about here. It's not the same word as logos, it's the word rhema. I'm active, I'm vibrant, I'm lighting you up with my possibility. He said, but there are some of you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who, who they were who did not believe and who it was that would also betray him. And he was saying it for this reason, that I've said to you that no one can come to me unless he is granted by the Father. So when I consider this, that the word of God is spirit and the word of God is life, I really just started to, to process and pray. And, and I did this um, all week long, and I did this in my half-asleep state this morning. And I kept going around. Like somebody just said, man, you barely made it this morning. I said, because I was trying to get my head around what I really wanted to say. You know, like, you guys don't understand this. Maybe some of you are Bible teachers. When you write a sermon, you don't want to walk in the room and just teach it. You want to walk in the room and change people's lives. I mean, I can make this a worship, whether it's Steve leading or Kevin leading or Vic or whomever, my girls, they don't come in and just want to sing a song. They want to watch people engage God. So when I come in, I want the same thing. I want you to come in and have a sense like I'm having a conversation with God. I'm learning something about who he is. So, so when I think about this, this is what goes on inside. I said, God, what would I say to them that would make this idea of spirit and life, that your word is spirit and life? And he said, tell them the times that I spoke to you about me being spirit and life. And I went, all of them? Because there's a lot of them. I've been a Christian 32 years. Like, I can go through probably every book in the Bible and show you something that God has said to me at some point. You're like, ooh, no, I don't mean it like that. I just mean I'm in the, I'm in the Bible. I, I'm in the Bible. I, I read it so that I discover him. Then he said, I want you to do this one, do this one, do Psalm chapter one, and just do it quick. Encourage the people with what Psalm chapter one says regarding the word of God. So just a few verses. This is the first one. How blessed, say blessed. Say I'm blessed. Watch, is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Okay, first thing, you're blessed when you don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. How many of you guys have ever sought advice from a worldly friend and it didn't work very well? The Bible actually says this, you're blessed when you don't do that. You're blessed when you go to people, God himself, or people who are godly. It says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. By the way, that walk word is, has a, have a pattern of life. In other words, listen, your best friends are not wicked people. 
You're like, but how are we ever going to reach them? I'm not saying don't reach them. I'm saying don't do what they do. Also, listen, I love you guys. Say, Pastor loves me. So often, so often I watch just the craziest decisions being made. Craziest. They're just crazy. They don't bring you life. They don't represent Jesus. They don't bring life to the people. Like, uh, we went to Matt's wedding yesterday. Matt, our former youth director, got married. It was beautiful. It was a really nice wedding. And my wife and I were sitting there. And, I, and by the way, this is not a slam. You drink this between you and God. If you get drunk, it's sin. But if you drink between you and God, we sat at the wedding and they had Martinelli's and we left. And we looked at each other. I said, I think this is the first wedding since our wedding that we've been to that there wasn't alcohol at. The last wedding I went to was straight crazy. I mean, like crazy. Like, it's time to leave because this is straight crazy. Like, I don't want to, if any of them are getting in cars, I don't want to be around when they're in a car. That's how bad it was. And I just went, wow. I, I, but it was a testimony because he wasn't walking in the counsel of the wicked. He was making a decision. Listen, I don't want my, in, if you have a conviction like I can have a glass of wine, that's between you and God. Bible does not say you can't have a glass of wine. It is very clear about telling you you can't get drunk. Like it actually says that it's specifically, do not be drunk with wine in which there is dissipation. In other words, stupidness is what that means. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's actually what God says. So, so listen, it is very specifically said. I love it when I see people make decisions for God. It breaks my heart when I see them make other decisions. Because it always goes full circle, doesn't it? We always think we can get away with it. And, and it's not like God is trying to punish you. And I'm not talking about a glass of wine. It could be anything you're doing that is not God-honoring. It doesn't have to be a glass. It could be anything. But when we do those things, it actually brings a breach between us and God. And, and the Bible's so clear, it says, don't walk in their counsel. Don't do the things they do. This makes sense, church? Man, it, like, the reason I love this, the reason I use this passage is because when I was a young Christian, I came out of Catholicism. I told you guys that. So I came out of the rule of God. Like, there's the Ten Commandments. You follow them, or I will smite thee with the greatest smoting. That's how I knew God to be. So if you do anything that's wrong, God is going to get you. So I look at this and I'm like, this passage is great because it's kind of a rule. Don't do what they do. Watch, it doesn't end there though. Watch, it goes on. He says, or stand in the path of sinners. In other words, when they go that way, don't go that way with them. Nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Whew, this one was hard for me. Because you know what a scoffer is? Scoffer is one of those people, oh, you Christians. These people all think they're all so holy. Scoffers are people who gossip, who downgrade other people's diligence or walk with God. By the way, lots of people have scoffed me. The reason they scoff me is because I do try to live a standard that honors God. And they go, oh, he's all holier than thou. No, I'm not. You didn't know me before. I was so jacked up, there's no way I want to go back to that. Why would I entertain the things that brought darkness in my life? Why would I want that? But some of us want to dance that fence right on the edge. Don't dance a fence. It says, don't, don't, don't do that stuff. You'll be blessed if you don't go in the path, if you don't walk in the way, if you don't entertain it. Does this make sense? I'm harping on this because I want you guys to grow. A little leaven does, in fact, leaven the whole lump. A little bit of sin corrupts the whole person. Now, listen, listen. You're like, does that make me bad? No, it makes you confused. How do I know that? Because I counsel y'all. You come to me, Pastor, I don't know what to do with this. I go, that's what, well, I did this, and look what's happening to me. Well, well, that was wrong. That's why it's happening to you. By the way, I've done things wrong, and things have what? Happened to me. I'm just trying to illustrate. If the word of God is spirit and life, we should follow the word of God. And he rocks them. You're like, darn, you're being mean again. I'm not done yet. I'm going to be way nice before I'm done. Right now, a little bit direct. I'm going to get nice, I promise. It says, but, but watch, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's why I loved it as a Catholic kid. There's a law. There's a rule. In other words, if I look into the Bible, which is the law of the Lord, I know what to do. But his delight's in the law of the Lord. Watch. And in his law, he meditates day and night. I've had people say to me, man, you know a lot of scripture. Well, I, I've been graced with a really good memory. Not going to play. I remember stuff. You ask people in my family, I have a crazy good memory. But you know why I know a lot of Bible? Because I tried to memorize it. I meditate on it. I come across something and I chew. Listen, that verse, my words are spirit and life. I've been chewing on that for two weeks. God, what do you really mean by that? 
What do you really want to say through that? Why would you give me that one verse? And then say, I want you to teach this verse. And I'm like, okay, but what's my journey in this verse? And he goes, your journey in this verse is that when I started to show you how to do it, you became alive inside. But listen, this is happening for all you too, isn't it? When you start to discover who God is and how to live for him, don't you come alive inside? Doesn't it feel like you're, you're centered or aligned with God? I got like three of you, the rest of you, you never? Come on, help me out. Doesn't it make you feel right with God when you're honoring him because his word says it? Man, that's so good. That's so good. You feel like you're walking in victory. You're not getting your rump kicked. You're not being all ungodly. It's glorious. He says, and he meditates in his law day and night. Watch, look at this promise. He'll be like a tree planted by the streams of water. Now, I fly fish, so when I go and I see a big giant tree, I go, man, that tree ain't going nowhere. They got plenty of water, deep roots. It's giant, it's green, it's beautiful. And I hate them because my flies get stuck in them. But anyways, a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and its leaves do not wither, and in whatever it, he does, he prospers. Okay, now watch. How many of you guys want a prosperous life? That's every single one of you. If you, oh no, I don't like having stuff, Pastor. I want to be broke. You're straight, you're straight lying. Yeah, I know you're lying. All of us want to have a prosperous life. We want prosperity in our finances. We want prosperity in our children, in our marriages. We want prosperity. We want a fruitful life. God says this, you do it my way, you will have a what? Fruitful life. Is that amazing or what? It's a promise. Take it to the bank. Man, I think God's amazing. So that was the first one. This idea of laws, rules, how to find them. Now the next one, just three, three scriptures. I'm, I'm almost done. A few more minutes and I'm done. The next one was this. Because I think it's some of you are like, man, Pastor, these seats are hard. That's why we're buying seats. Isn't that great? They're going to have cushions on them now. It means I can preach for two hours. No, actually, we're not going to do that. I'm teasing you. But, but seriously, I am almost done. So let me walk you through this. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And it says this, For grace you have been saved. How are you saved? By grace. So we work because we have grace. We don't work to get grace, right? God has given us grace, therefore we honor him. That's what it means. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Say, it's a gift. Man, I'm saved because it's a gift. Not as a result of work so that no one can boast. Watch, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that God prepared beforehand that we would walk in him. We're his workmanship. I, oh, I love this word. This word is the word poem in the Greek. So listen, listen. Look at somebody sitting next to you and say, you're the poem of God. The poem of God. Listen, y'all. some of you are all like comedy and tragedy poem, but you're a poem. I'm just saying. I'm playing with you. You're a poem. It literally means this. You're God's work of art. And some of you don't think that. You just think, man, I'm not a work of art. God, jacked, God messed up when he made it. You know how many people have said to me over the years, God made a mistake with me. I'm not like that, pastor. I'm not smart like you, pastor. Not able to do this. I'm not, I'm not, I've heard every excuse, every excuse. This is always what I say back. You're the workmanship of God. You can't disagree with what God says about you. You're his workmanship. You're his poem, his work of art. He's accomplishing something in you, watch, so that he can accomplish something through you. See, that's, that man, that is so key. Because God doesn't only bless you so that you'll be blessed. He blesses you so that you will be a blessing. He wants to bless you, and then he wants to move through your life as well. He says you're his workmanship, created in Christ unto good works, which God foreordained you to walk in. So powerful, like life-altering, if you know that God is in your, your corner, and there's no way that you can lose. So the first one is, is walk this straight and narrow. That's what it said, Psalm 1. The second one is, you're God's poem. You're his work of art. Live in your identity for who he's made you to be. Stop saying about yourself things that God doesn't say. Whether you're too arrogant, come low. If you're too, like, yuck, come up. You've got to be who you are in Christ. Not higher, not lower. Who he designed you to be. That's when you live in fruitfulness. And then the last one, and we'll close with this. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Apostle Paul is writing and he says this. He says, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in, <clears throat> not as in my presence only, 
but now much more in my absence. So he's, he's been admonishing them. So you guys kind of have a little bit of background. He's admonishing them, like, make sure you don't lose heart. Make sure you, you do life like Jesus. Like, Jesus was God and he came low. So you should be humble too. That's, that's basically how he's entering into this particular verse. And then he says this, which, man, as a young Catholic kid, this, this verse scared me. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I'm like, ah, darn it, I knew it. Like, you're setting me up. You're going to get me. Like, you're just, you're, I knew it. You faked like you love me, and now when I mess up, I got to be afraid of you all the time or I'm going to mess up. Anybody else ever thought that? Okay, I'm the only psychotic person in the room. That's me. But he says, listen, work it out specifically. Fear and trembling. And then he goes on to say this, and this is the beautiful part of it. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. So watch, let me put this in modern ease and then I'm going to pray for you and we'll go home. He says, put energy into your, your salvation. Do it with honor, respect for who God is. That, that's what he said the first verse. Put energy into it. And this is what he says in the second one. Because God is putting energy into you. That's actually what it means. It, the, the word in the Greek is the word energo. We get the word energized from it. Like a little energizer bunny, like the batteries. It's that kind of thing. Like you put energy into your faith because God is putting energy into you. You know what I love about this? That it doesn't matter how much energy I put, God always puts more. You ever given God this much and he gives you back that much? Isn't that how God rolls? Like if you'll trust me with a little, I'll reward you with more. That's how God rolls. And that's what this verse meant to me. So these are three verses that talked about, for me, the, co the connection between spirit and life. How do I do spirit, word, and life all together? I let the word of God speak to me. So I sit and I go, well, God, what are you saying about Psalm chapter 1? Follow me. Don't follow sinners. I was very young as a Christian when he gave me that one. I was very young. Meditate in the word because you need the word to keep yourself healthy. The second one, that we are his workmanship. I said, God, what are you saying? He said, stop saying about yourself things that I don't say. The youngest of 12 kids, blah, 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 blah. Got a big fat head. Don't laugh. Hey, my brother's here. When I was a kid, I had a head that was like so big compared to my body. It was embarrassing. Now you're like, you still have a big head, Pastor. I know. But anyways, I'm over it, though. I'm better with it. That's why I can joke about it. But in all seriousness, I was always worried about how I was made. And then God said, I didn't mess you up. You're a work of art. And I went, I'm a work of art? Heck yeah. And you're pretty smart, too. I'm smart? Really? The guy who almost failed out of high school? That guy? Listen, my, my, the second semester of my senior year of high school, I had to take six classes and two work experience classes to graduate because I screwed around so much. I was that kid. My kids don't even know that story. I don't think they've ever heard me say that before. That doesn't mean mess up. <laughs> but I learned that I was God's work of art. Changed the whole way I saw myself. And then the last one was, yes, put energy into your salvation because God is putting energy into you. And I've always learned this, that whatever I give to God, he gives me more back. All right, let me pray for y'all. Father, I want to thank you for this morning. And God, I do pray for us as a church that we would become a word-directed, passionate, hungry for what your Spirit says through the written scriptures, that we would take the time to spend time in our Bibles and, and that we would learn who you are and discover who you are, not only on Sundays or other groups that we go to to learn about you, but we would have interaction time relationally with you, God. Jesus, we love that you said that your words are spirit and life. I pray, God, that you would wake up our spirits and that you would show us the vibrancy of life that comes when all of our passion, our focus, our attention is directed on you, when we put you first. So, God, it is with, with just gratitude that I'm even able to share a few of the stories that you've shown me. And I'm sure if I, if I allowed the room to go around, everybody would have their stories of how God revealed himself to them. God, I pray for more revelations or an increase in understanding, an increase in goodness, an increase in how you speak through your word and you affirm who we are in you. God, we're grateful that you don't ever give up. We're grateful that you never leave. We're grateful that your favor is on us. And God, as we close today, I just, just say thank you. Thank you that you never, never, never give up on us. 
God, may we honor you as much as you've honored us by giving us your son. God, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. You just pray quietly, but if you agree with this prayer, just pray. God, I want my life to honor you. I, I want it to be something that, is, that keeps you first. Where I've missed it, God, forgive me. Where I've been successful, remind me. And as I go out today, help me to be aware of how you're leading me. Just pray for your grace, your power in my life. Holy Spirit, and fill me to do this. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.